Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. Will this finally be the year that North Carolina expands Medicaid? After a decade of inaction, there are encouraging signs that Republican lawmakers may finally be ready to take the plunge and extend health insurance coverage to more than a half million low-income adults. As I learned, however, in a recent chat with North Carolina Health News founder and editor Rose Hoban, expansion is far from a sure thing. What's more, with a veto-proof majority in the state Senate and close to one in the House, Republican legislators are likely to pursue a health care policy agenda in the coming year on an array of other issues, including reproductive health care, that will likely be more about turning back the clock than moving the state forward. Rose Hoban, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Hey, Happy New Year, Rob. North Carolina General Assembly already underway, or at least technically, the 2023 session. Lots of health and health-related issues. Have we learned any sort of overarching things from the opening days about this realm? There are lots of specific topics I want to ask you about. Well, they came back for their, you know, statutorily required day of swearing in, right? So they've done their swearing in. I ran around the building and talked to a lot of lawmakers and got what was on their big lists of what they wanted. And top of the list for everybody is Medicaid expansion, of course, on both sides of the aisle now, right? Hmm. You know, in the past, it's been predominantly Democrats, but all the Republicans in the Senate that I spoke to, Senator Berger, Jim Perry, who's a former HHS committee chair, they all talked about like, of course, we're going to do Medicaid expansion, which I was like, wow, that's a <laughs> different yeah. Right. You know, like that's such a different animal than, you know, for the past decade. So after Medicaid expansion, the next thing off of everyone's lips was doing something about mental health. I think there's a recognition that kids are hurting, that people are languishing in emergency departments, that there's just a huge need for addressing crisis. There's just a huge need. And as you know, we published a story late last year about an 11-year-old Durham girl who ended up at one of the state's private psychiatric facilities where she was sexually assaulted. There's very little recourse for parents. Really, the default has become that if you want to get your kid treated, you have to have them involuntarily committed, which means that you lose all rights to decide what happens to your child. Increasingly, there are people who are saying that this cannot be the way that we go forward. Yeah. Do the lawmakers give any indication that they want to finally come through and fund these kinds of services? I mean, we've talked for a long time about school nurses and psychologists and social workers who, you know, our numbers in North Carolina are so low, and yet we do have this mental health crisis amongst children. Is there any indication that they finally get the crowbar into their pockets and find the cash to do that? I was hearing some noise about that. I know that there's a working group that's been meeting. Senator Bergen has really got a burr under his saddle about this, and he's Hmm convene people from across the political spectrum, so Democrats and Republicans, to talk about you know, how to improve things. Um, when I spoke to Senator Jim Perry, who I noted that he is a former HHS committee chair, he's now just on the committee because now he's been bumped upstairs to be a mm-hmm. former committee chair. So he said to me, it's complicated. You know, There's a lot of competing interests, but that there is definitely a need to address some of these things. I'm always reluctant to make any predictions about the legislature, Rob, you know that. But, uh, you know, this was someone who was saying that he saw that there was a need for more funding. Another thing 
that they saw was a need for more funding was addressing the state's healthcare workforce crisis. Huge problem because like, you know, you can put people into a hospital, you can put people into a nursing home, you can put people into a state funded facility, but if there's nobody there to care for them, they're not going to get care. And actually, I think it was Representative Blackwell talked about the fact that at the state's psychiatric facilities, there are beds that could accommodate people, but there's not enough staff. Again, we wrote about last fall about the real staffing crisis within all state agencies, but, you know, we're mostly interested in health and human services. And so it's something like a 21% vacancy rate across the department with 16,000 people. And in some of their state operated facilities, which are the psychiatric hospitals and like the Riddle Center, which is for people with developmental disabilities, some of them have got 40% vacancy rates. So they're having to just burn through cash to hire traveling nurses who are contract staff who cost more. Now, across the country, we're starting to see this fervor for contract staff abate because there's not the surges from the pandemic and that more people are, you know, their hospitals and facilities are raising their salaries so that they can keep, you know, they can retain their nurses and their healthcare personnel. As that goes on, and the traveling agencies are reporting less demand. So as that goes on, I think we'll see something of an evening out, like a reset at a mm-hmm. higher level for all these healthcare workers, but it won't be as expensive as all that contract labor. I want to go into that more, but there's so many other topics I want to ask you about in our limited time. I do want to go back to Medicaid expansion. Uh, it's remarkable. It is a remarkable turnaround to hear so many Republicans talking about it, but it still seems that there's this roadblock, which is that there are these other issues that have been injected into the debate over Medicaid expansion, things like certificate of need laws. Is there any indication that they're going to find their way through these and around these perhaps to really get this done? I know you say you don't want to make predictions, but here we are in January. Do you think, you know, that there is some real intention to make that happen this year? Well, apparently Moore and Berger sat down with like the Charlotte Chamber and talked to them and took questions from reporters. Tony Messia reported this in the Charlotte Ledger. The two of them, when they were in the same room, they said that they saw that there could be some agreement on Medicaid expansion. Now, we know that hospitals have given an inch, right, on changing those certificate of need laws. And for your listeners who don't know what they are, there are these laws that that essentially restrict competition for hospitals. And the hospitals say that they need them because, you know, they're providing everything from emergency department, which, by the way, is a loss leader, and labor and delivery, which is a loss leader, to cardiac, cancer care, and orthopedics, which all make goo gobs of money. And so (laughs) the hospitals kind of like use the money from ortho to pay for the labor and delivery, right? Right. So if that gets siphoned off. (laughs) If you have an ortho, like an ambulatory surgical center down the road that only does ortho, that does all those well-paying knees and hips, then how are you going to pay for the labor and delivery? So this has been the argument that the hospitals have been making, right? right? The good news is that if North Carolina were to do this, part of what we would be adopting would be a new mechanism for payment for uninsured and payment for folks who don't have good insurance and don't have good sources of payment. Indigent, as the term is, it's the federal, a new federal rules change. It's called HASP, H-A-S-P. Don't ask me what it means. (laughs) And um, what it would do is it would change the reimbursement formula for hospitals and give them a bump up. 
right? So that has bundled into the Medicaid expansion. People aren't talking as much about that, but when the hospitals take a little bit of a haircut from the certificate of need changes, they'll be getting some Rogaine in the form <laughs> of this HASPI funding, right? So I think the hospitals and the Senate have kind of come to a little bit of an agreement. And so the question is, will the House go along? Representative Lambeth, Donnie Lambeth from Winston-Salem, said that he's got a, quote, clean Medicaid expansion bill. It's basically a bill that the type of bill that Democrats have been, you know, filing for a decade, which is going to expand Medicaid, full stop. That will be an amazing development if it happens and save a lot of lives. We're talking with Rose Hoban, who is the founder and editor of North Carolina Health News. You can find more of their reporting at NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Rose, I want to talk about abortion. We obviously know that abortion rights hang by a thread in North Carolina. We have a new veto rule in the House that's making it extremely clear that Democrats maybe better not go to the bathroom this session if they want to uphold a gubernatorial veto on any issue. And abortion rights seems to be one that is likely to be a factor into that discussion. What's the outlook there? So a little bit of background is that since the days of uh, now Senator Tillis, when he was speaker in the House, he created this thing called the veto garage. And it was this place where they would stick bills that had a veto and they would wait for a favorable time for an override. So I'm not sure if it's a spoken or an unspoken agreement is that the speaker would give the house like 24 hours before a veto vote would come up. And so it's it's produced a lot of vetoes that haven't been overridden. Now that the the margin is just so close, right? Moore has basically said he's, you know, getting rid of that rule. And then he spent a lot of time kind of talking around it because reporters were pressing him and asking him about it and asking him again. And it's really hard to parse what it was he was saying. But the bottom line is that these votes could come up very quickly. And, you know, you can look at this and you can say, well, they're going to do what they're going to do. And, it, you know, it'll be a mess. I think about that budget vote in 2019, where the Republicans were all in the chamber and the Democrats had been told, and it's on the record from some people, that, that there no were votes. no votes that day. And then they took a vote on the budget and they were passed it. And you remember Deb Butler standing up and saying, I object and this won't stand, et cetera. Well, it's so soured the discourse in the chamber for the rest of that legislative session. The trust had been shattered. So part of me wonders, like, does Moore want to walk into a biennial session where they might want to make some deals and completely take a dump on the trust from the very beginning? Is that mm-hmm. really the way, the way they want to play it? Yeah, you know, I don't know. But it does seem a certainty that the Republicans are serious about restricting abortion further. North Carolina, really a sanctuary state for for women coming from across the country right now. The likelihood of some sort of new limitations, that's going to be a priority, it appears, for the Republicans. I agree. I agree that it is going to be a priority for the Republicans. And I fully expect something. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I think there are Republicans across the ideological spectrum at the legislature. I think there's a very, very conservative wing in the House, which will push for at least a six-week bill, if not an outright ban. The question is whether all the Republicans will get on board for that, and then whether that can get through the Senate. You know, there's going to have to be some kind of compromise between the House and the Senate because Senator Berger has been 
less enthusiastic for a really restrictive bill. He's talked more about 15-week bills or first trimester bills. And apparently, I I didn't realize this, but we have never codified that there should be exceptions for rape incest in the life of the mother in the state. And so they're talking about codifying that and getting that into statute. So I see something happening. I don't know what it's going to be. No, I'm not going to make a prediction. I'm not (laughs) going to make a prediction. I'm not going to go there. Like I've been burned too many times. (laughs) We'll get you out of here on this this one as we get come to the end of our time with Rose Hoban, the founder and editor of North Carolina Health News. State Treasurer Falwell has announced recently that the state health plan is going to be switching from Blue Cross Blue Shield, where it's been for decades, over to the insurance giant Aetna. It's uh, caused a little heartburn in some places. A lot of people worried about their health care continuing. It might save a little bit of money, maybe not a whole lot. What's, what's your take on this? Is there any likelihood that this could be halted? I know Blue Cross is appealing the order, but it seems as if perhaps it's set to go. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, if you spend any time in insurance world, you'll find that everybody is very litigious. So if you remember when we did the Medicaid transformation contracts, everybody sued who didn't get the contract. Like this is the way they roll in the issue. They've got the lawyers. We might as well use them, right? So (laughs) Blue Cross Blue Shield announced that they were going to sue over this. And we'll see how that plays out in court. The biggest concern that I have heard expressed is that there's this idea of network adequacy, right? You have to have enough people in network close to you where everybody is, who can do the care that you need. So we have state employees because they're teachers and correctional workers all over the state. And keep in mind, a lot of correctional facilities are in these little tiny towns in rural parts of the state, right? There are jobs, there are jobs program essentially. And so what is ending up happening is that there's some concern particularly in these, you know, places like Northampton County, Graham County, all these small places Will there be enough providers to provide enough network adequacy? And so what Aetna needs to do, and Aetna's got a lot of people and they're a big insurance company. Blue Cross has got, you know, 70 years of contracts throughout the state. So they're kind of contracted with everybody, right? Right. But Aetna's going to have to spend two years running around the state making contracts with everyone. And yeah, it's a big lift. And that was part of the reason why we passed Medicaid transformation in 2015, but it didn't go live until 2021. And that's part of the reason is that you need to give these insurance companies enough time to go out and do contracting. So that's a pretty big lift. And uh, we'll see how that works. Um, It's not clear the level of assessment that the treasurer's office did uh, on this, but, you know, he's been railing against Blue Cross for years now about lack of transparency. And again, if you spend a lot of time in the insurance world, uh, it's not completely unheard of for an insurance company to be opaque. (gasps) There's the thought, right? So, you know, will we get something better with Aetna? Who knows? All those companies have their issues. They all do. And they probably all have connections to various political parties and, and, and individuals, and some of them may have closer ties to the treasurer than others. So it probably plays a role in it, too. Who knows, right? Like, that's all the, that's all the backroom dealing, and which, you know, oh, government transparency. 
Right. Well, that's one good thing that, that North Carolina Health News contributes to is a little bit of government transparency. Rose Hoban's the founder and editor of North Carolina Health News. You can read the stories of she and all of her colleagues at NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Rose, thanks so much for being with us. Have a great new year and we'll talk to you again soon, I hope. All right, Rob. Good to catch up. Coming up next, a conversation with an expert on higher education who says the University of North Carolina's governance system could use a complete overhaul. Stay with us. 